Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of our annual raffle, and tickets are just $50, and it really helps support all the wonderful work that we're doing. If you buy a ticket today, I'll send you a personal thank you letter and a little gift. It's really easy. Just go to www.ndgraffle.com. That's ndgraffle.com. I'll be ever so grateful to you. Now let's get started. Since we didn't do this in a few weeks, where are we holding? Anyone want to give us a little re- recap? Well, last time we did Sefer Hamal Marim, the rational soul. No, no, but before that, before that. Oh, before that. Before that. Before that so we've been talking about, choice. we started talking about the, 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 the natural animal soul. We spoke about the rational drive. What did we talk about? What I have before that is, we thought, yeah, we talked about three souls. We spoke about, about the Sikrit and the Yesh Me'ain. That's right. Then the two ways to rise, Erusad Dela and Erusad Dela Tata. Then we talked about free choice, Bechira. That's right. Freedom to exercise our will, to do... So, today... Animal soul and godly soul have no choice. Only the rational mind has a choice. Today, we're starting a whole new idea. So, if you didn't hear anything before, you should be able to catch in today on this whole new idea. We're going to talk about an individual's drive. What is the drive within the human being? When we are excited about something, or we're passionate about something, or we're... Uh, have not only emotions, we have thoughts, we have fleeting thoughts, we have more uh, substantial thoughts. What is that motivation? What is that drive? And what we're trying to really do here, it's not just, we're not sitting here and learning a pop psychology lesson. We're actually trying to understand what our core is, what is our essence? Who am I in my essence? Which means the only way I can learn who I am in my essence is by starting over here then slowly I can work my way inward. If I start inward, like where, where am I gonna go? So we're gonna try to understand when I do something, how I do something, what is the motivation, what is the drive? We're gonna call it a drive. What is the drive behind that which I do? So the first drive we're gonna talk about, um, Kabbalah talks about three drives. We've touched on this, but we haven't really spent uh, enough time really focusing on them. So the three drives are the natural or animal drive, the rational, intellectual drive, and then the spiritual slash godly drive. So the first one we're talking about today is the one that's closest to us, the one that's natural for us. It's going to be a very easy class today because we're going to feel very much in touch with this part of ourselves. We're the most touch in touch with this part of ourselves, and that is the natural or the animal soul. The terms that we need to understand, the Kabbalistic terms before we get started, the first term is neshama. Neshama, we're just going to translate today. Over time, we're going to learn deeper understandings of what the neshama is. But for now, we're translating it as soul. Simply soul. And then, more important than neshama, soul, is koach hamisave, which means the power of passion. We're going to try to touch on the power of our passion. What is our passion? So, let's get started. And as we get started, I think we'll, you'll have, we'll be able to start asking questions and get into it. So, Kabbalah talks about the three souls, the Nefesh of to the animal soul, or the animal drive. 
the nefesh asichlit, the vital, the natural, the, the rational drive, and then the nefesh alikit, the godly or the spiritual drive. Now, to understand the significance of each of these three drives or each of these three souls, you have to first understand what is a soul. What is an neshama? What is the nature or the functionality of a soul? A soul is a life force. It's a drive. A soul is something spiritual or not of the body. It's not one with the body, which means without the life force that's animating the body, the body's just some flesh. It's just flesh and bones. Does the body really exist as its own? No, it's just, according to Kabbalah, the place where we, our soul uses the body in order to function in this world. Because if not, it wouldn't be grounded in this world. So do the eyes see, the eyes don't see. It's the soul that uses the eyes to see. Does the nose smell? The nose doesn't smell. It's the soul that uses the nose to smell. And you'll see the soul is most functional where in the holes of our body. If you look at, you'll find the soul peers through the holes of our body. So you're going to see the ears, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, fascinatingly enough, also the hands to a certain extent. And that is, according to many Kabbalists, the soul actually comes in through the hands and leaves through the hands. And so the hands actually hold within it. They're the ones that clasp and close and, and, and hold on to the soul in this body. But you'll find besides the hands, it's the other, the other five or six holes of our body, or seven holes of our body. The, the two ears, the two eyes, the two nostrils, and the mouth are really how our soul animates and is able to express itself. And that's why you also speak to people who have had out-of-body experiences. And the first thing they'll tell you, if you've ever spoken or you've had this experience yourself, is they'll tell you, oh, I could see everything so clearly. I could see my body below and I was hovering above it. You hear these same stories. Is it like a a fantasy? No, because the soul is really can see more clearly than the eyes. We're actually limiting the soul's abilities by putting it in a body. The soul would be much happier not being in a body, but then we wouldn't be connected to this physical world. And part of being in this world is being connected one with the physical world, which means if the hands weren't able to draw a picture, so to speak, then you wouldn't be able to see the beauty of art in this world. So we need the soul to be animating the hands in order for the hands to be able to have that creativity to draw the art. And as a result, the whole world, whoever's passing by, can appreciate the art that the hands have drawn, that the soul was animating the hands to draw. But it's also when someone faints and they make them smell like something to wake up. Right. Like, how weird is that? Like, like a smelling salt. Why? Because the it smelling salt is going the, deeper yeah. than the faint. Actually, it's very interesting. And the Talmud talks about someone who faints, that if, you, if someone faints, you should whisper their Jewish name into their ear. And, that, and the Jewish name comes from the essence of the soul, and that, that, that will awaken the, the essence core of the soul, and it will go deeper than the actual faint. You should, you, should, you should also, true story, this is the easiest way to wake up somebody that's fainted. So you just put them on their back, and you lift their legs. And the blood... Because you faint because right. a, a blood like a blood rush away from the brain. You, I, I, I've seen this in person when 
Like, and there's actually an Israeli person that did this, and I'm like, why don't we learn these basic life skills? It's crazy. Like, somebody's famous. In Israel, okay. everything is for the army. Yeah, yes, it's for the army. <laughs> but you, put, you, you literally, like, put somebody on their back, you lift up their legs, yeah. and you will see within seven seconds, they're like, they're a day awake. It, it's cool. And, and it's happened to me a couple of times since then, and I've done it. So, not to... But. Yeah. I have a question. So, yeah. is the soul always connected to the body, or is it, like, partially connected? If you... I, mean, I don't want to go... I don't want to go too far into where the soul is. We'll talk about this at some point as we go deeper into our study. But um, if you want to use the word, the word that is used in English is aura. Mm -hmm. So, the aura is actually a little bit above or outside of the body. It could be up to four amot, about six feet around the body. Most people, for most people, it's about one or two feet around the body, and usually it's in the upper half. So the soul kind of animates itself, um, and we're going to learn how this works, but between the brain and the, and the heart, mm -hmm. and then kind of a little bit beyond the body. So the person, that's why, in, in, actually in Talmud, in Jewish law, everyone is allowed their four amot. That's their personal space because their aura, their body is not just their personal space, but their aura extends up to a certain amount of space outside of their, of their body. I'm not, I'll leave it at that because we could have a number of lessons just on that element right there. So the Hebrew word used for soul is generally neshama. But neshama is not the only word that's used for soul. There's actually five words that are used for soul. Do you know what they are? Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, Yechida. I'm not going to go into those five elements. We will have time at some point to go into them. Don't think that I'm just kind of throwing this stuff out there and not spending time, but I want to... The point of this class is to really delve into every single element of Kabbalah, every single concept. So today we're talking about the natural animal drive, at some point we'll talk about the five levels of the soul. So the, the term we're going to use today when referring to the, the natural animal soul is the neshama. Though you should know, Kabbalah and Hasidut use the word nefesh, nefesh habahamit. Think about the term that is used, just to give you an idea of is it a neshama or a nefesh? You won't be able to translate that yet or even understand that yet because you know the difference between a neshama and a nefesh. But that's why we're going to use the word drive. Nefesh is more of a drive than it is of a soul. A motivation and a drive. A direction in which a person is moved. So, I think that after we start describing each of these souls, generally, we're going to go into the specifics. So the animal soul. The nefesh habahamit. It's similar to an animal. It desires animal-like pleasures. It's desires. It just, it doesn't think, it doesn't have a rationale to it. It wants to eat. It eats. It wants to sleep. I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep. Whatever it wants on an animalistic level, whatever that desire is, it's going to do everything it can to get that desire. And if you allow it to, if there was no other soul in your body, it will do crazy things to get its desire. There are some people who have such a developed animal soul, animal drive, that it will do crazy things that are illegal, 
immoral, unethical, against the law, in order for... Now, the animal soul doesn't think about what's unethical and immoral. It doesn't really care. It cares about what it wants. So if you allow that animal soul to rule and control you, it will take you to places that you may or may not want to go. Now, it doesn't use the intellect to discern between good and bad. Similar to an animal that acts based on its instincts, its intellect is subordinate to and overpowered by what it sees and feels. What is the general power or drive of the animal soul? It's the drive of passion, which fascinatingly makes it unique and different in a positive way and in distinction to all other species of creation. The passion that the animal has can be used for many positive and constructive tasks, such as plowing fields or transporting people, and sometimes even teaches us humans what is proper and what is improper. The animal, that passion, well, think about this class, for example. Imagine I wasn't using my animal soul right now. I mean, we would be having, and there are some people who don't use their animal soul when they teach, and it's very monotone, and it's just cerebral. And today, we're going to talk about the animal soul. No, we need the passion. We need the excitement. We need to hone the animal. Let's talk about the plowing the field, okay? Because we yeah. talked about that example already, right? right? Why is the animal soul, why is somebody who's driven by the animal soul, okay, why could they plow an entire field? So, right? no, so what, what I find interesting there is that because the animal soul, soul is so limited to its desires, okay? It's like, what do I want? I want to eat. That's what I want. That's all I want. It's like my entire perspective is limited to my desire, right? Because of that, it becomes extremely easy to manipulate, right? By other people. How if somebody else gives me a reward to give me, like, that gives me what I want in that limited sense, <coughs> I'm gonna keep doing what it takes, right? Let's make, it, let's make it a little bit more real in today's society. I think that's very real. Yeah, but let's take it, because plowing, a, plowing, a, field, plowing a field is, is more, is more other, otherworldly. Today, what? And I, it's unbelievable, and I only know a little bit of it. I just I, that I, from what I see and what I observe and what I listen to, but what men will do to get a woman in bed—it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You think about to the extent that the, 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 I mean, where does that come from? Where does that come from? Men will sustain a tremendous amount. I mean, it could be. Hours and days and months. I hear this from people. I, I, I married for you know for years. I don't know about this, but I mean, see these single guys. I, it's unbelievable. Mm. And and women are the opposite also. I mean, I'm not I'm not just talking about men only. You know, it's it's a two way street in the in the world today, right? There's there's equality to a certain extent, but that that is the essence of the animal drive. Yeah, I, I feel that. But did you did you, did you understand my point? Yeah, what I said about 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 being easier to manipulate. Much easier. When you're limited to your immediate desires, it becomes extremely easy for other people sometimes, for institutions, to control you, right? You become a slave. You basically, we well, like, look. That's, that's what he, yeah. his response was, was completely irrelevant to what you're saying because he's, he's talking about how like, 
because of those primal desires that people will go through the most elaborate like manipulative things to like get what they want like just even if it's a yeah like that, that's that's on advertising pr- works that, that's from the person's point of view right from their point of view it's like if I want something like it, it, the lengths to which I'm going to go to I'm not going to be limited by any kind of like like broader perspective yeah but then you don't actually term. calculate yeah. the lengths that you're going to go to you just want that's something that's right that's right you do your that intellect, your intellect responds to that desire and that, that's like, from my perspective one of the, right? one of the most what? one of the most amazing things that Steve Jobs did when creating this thing is he turned it from a functional device into a desire people started desiring like they desire things to have the iPhone well, it's a really good example. Yeah. It's even more than a desire. It's an identity. It's, yes. Right. It's like, I'm cool, young. You and have creative, to have so Starbucks have and not that other cup because yeah. when you walk with the Starbucks, it's an identity. That's right. It's a desire. It's not yeah. just the coffee that became a desire. It's the cup. The cup. People want the cup. <laughs> but, but you know what, what, I, what, what I find interesting also is the, from the other perspective, from the perspective of other people or from institutions or from it's kind of a whole other kind of worms. Like, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was just saying the whole identity with like branding and stuff like that. And Look, there's millions of dollars that are spent to get people to hold that cup. They know what they're doing. What's amazing is what are they doing? I guarantee you if every single person was using their rational drive and their spiritual drive, there would be no one to advertise to. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. <laughs> so, so, so when you limit yourself to your animal drive, when you limit yourself to those desires, right? In a sense, you become extremely predictable you become very easy to manipulate. People feel like they're a slave to, or that they are controlled by or manipulated by bigger powers. And the thing is, they are. But only because they subscribe to these limited identities, right? They make themselves easy to manipulate. Right. Right? Because they don't use their higher faculties. Right. That, that's, that's all a consequence of the overpowering of the animal drive. I mean, think about just people will throw out their whole wardrobe because some designer just said that this is now in style and that was like a 90s fashion. You know, you know Oscar Wilde? Yeah, but you know what? It's like, I'm sorry, you're making it sound so ridiculous, but like the truth is it's, it's just a cultural thing. Like, but no. It's, what, a culture, what? it's a thing where you, you are identified, you, your identity is defined by trends, by social trends. It's, it's, it's not it's inherent. A, it's, it's a presentation mode. It's the trend that, you know, Oscar Wilde's like quote about fashion. He says, fashion is something so ugly, you have to reinvent it every six months. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if it were eternally good, it wouldn't need to change so much. It's because it's not that interesting that it becomes disposable. <laughs> the, I'm not saying that it's wrong or it's right. What Kabbalah wants us to do is we're not identifying what's wrong or right yet. We're, what we're identifying is what it is. We have to call it what it is before we identify whether it's wrong or right. So you can have your opinion. You're automatically going to the next level. You're saying that's wrong or that's right. We're not there yet. We're just saying identify what it is. Yeah. This is this an is animal a, in, in, in the drive. Word, in, in, the word of, in the words of in philosophy, this is an ontological discussion. Ontology is nature of being. What is? What are, what are we talking about? We have about? to define things before, we, sure, sure. before we, we decide what's right or wrong. So let's just go into this whole uh, the ox and the plow. The Talmud uses, the, obviously, the ox and the plow in the field as the metaphor for the animal soul. It says that the advantage that's gained by having an ox plow a field, the result being an abundance of wheat. If a human being were to pull 
the plow, the Talmud continues, the amount of wheat harvested would be minimal. Yeah. When animals schlep a wagon with people as passengers, they can get to the destination much quicker. If the same wagon were pulled by a real live person, when it, it, would, it would be a different story. So when it comes to performing hard chores, people get tired and hungry much more quickly than animals. And people give up doing the task. So if you want to identify the positive qualities of the animal soul, your drive, your passion, your excitement, the stamina that you're going to use in order to get to the destination, to, 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 to do things and not stop, and not get sidetracked, and really say, I am going to start this project and I'm gonna finish it. Whatever it is, we all have big, big projects in our life that we do, some of them could be over a number of years. How do we have that stamina to continue over a number of years doing the same thing? That is all, that's the positive side of our animal soul. So we're not saying that the animal is completely negative. There are, the, the animal can be positive and positive. it can be negative. You know what I think when I think, yesterday I was, I was in a, an, an AI lab, okay, one of the top researchers in the world, a client of mine, okay, he walked us through his lab. And this guy, like, he's had big companies trying to get him to, like, join them for, for his whole life, since the 90s, okay? And he's always, like, like you know, it's like, he, he'll get this, he'll do this, and he publishes a ton of papers around the world and everything, right? And the company's like, wow, let's build a company around this. And he's like, okay, cool, do it. And it's like, okay, so they start to invest some money, whatever. And then they're like, okay, like, you need to go in and, like, be the CEO and whatever. And he's like, look, I'm just, like, I'm just out here, like, doing my thing. Like, you guys come to me. Like, I just want to keep working. Like, the guy's a true academic, right? And, like, he's not an animal driver. The people in business, they need to be able to stop thinking and go in a certain direction and worry about accounting and cash flows and marketing and all these, like, extremely from an intellectual perspective like you're in a corridor right you're like limited focus and, and, and but 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 doing that you can build billion dollar companies right you know? it's, it's similar to the guy similar to, you know the, the great question about the guy who was fishing right and somebody walks over to him and says if you're fishing already why don't you uh you know instead of catching one catch two he's like what am i gonna do with two fish i only need one is it two you can sell one sell one what do you mean sell one? So you can sell one to make money. You can build a whole empire and a business and you can have this thing and that thing and the other thing. And it goes on and on and on and on. You know the story, you know, back and forth and back and forth. This is, so what am I going to do after that and after that and after that and after that? You can retire and go fishing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a treadmill. But uh, yeah, so... In, in a way, the animal soul is, 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 is simply focused, right? It's focused on, on, on its immediate desires, right? What it right. needs, what it, it, it's a limitation of the focus, right? The rational drive will open up possibilities, right? I mean, the godly, right? Unlimited. Absolutely. But the animal soul is like, you're locked into a corridor. But let's say you're a professional athlete, you need to be mainly driven by your animal soul for the for the goal of the 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 athletics that you're trying to accomplish that's right yes and then after that hopefully you can connect well hopefully you hopefully you're using the athletics as a stepping stone in order to connect something bigger but yes you could be totally animalistic right there are people who become barbarians look at look at the the look at the olympics look at look at the olympics originally you know people were killing each other that was the goal of the olympics to kill your opponent so it could become so animalistic like, like, like lions in the jungle. So 
using this animals as a metaphor, we also learn a lot of values from animals. The Talmud continues and says, uh, take for example the incident mentioned in the Torah of the donkey of Bilam. So basically this donkey ends up scorning Bilam for acting out of order and hitting her. Now, of course, the ability for humans to understand the animal's language is somewhat miraculous. We're not talking about Bilam's and his ability to speak to donkeys. What, 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 we're, what we're saying is that the animals do have their own language. And part of that language includes a silent message. It's a language that teaches ethics and goodness. Just as it taught Bilam a very important lesson, when he hit the donkey, the animals can teach us things. The Talmud says that if, it, if the Torah were not prohibiting stealing, that we would be able to derive this from a cat. Cats don't steal. A cat doesn't steal food, even though the food lies around in the open for grabs. By nature, a cat doesn't steal. As long, uh, um, as, long as it feels that it might belong to another cat. The, the prophet, the prophet uh, Isaiah, he scolds the Jewish people and he says, the ox knows its master, the donkey knows the crib of its owner, however, my nation Israel doesn't know me, God. So he's using examples of the animal's ethics in order to, to scold the Jewish people. There's also, um, we, it says that from a dog we learn about uh, obedience. That a dog is obedient to its master. So is it because of a rational drive that our animal souls all can be messed up? Because they don't have a rational drive, so their animal soul is working just fine for them. Well, their animal soul is all they have. Right, so, so it's, it's really because of a... a so they're, they're, still in, they're still... No, yeah. yes and no. if you have animal soul and you have your goggles because, soul, you'd be fine too. Because a dog still has to be trained. So yeah, from a cat you can learn modesty because a cat doesn't go to the bathroom in public. You can learn modesty, but, you, but again... It's us with our rational drives that are observing the animals. I always say, I will believe in evolution when a monkey does a study on me. No, but I think what Leanne is saying, I think there's, there's something there that I believe as well is that, is that the rational mind, in a sense, can take a certain idea or a certain desire and it can just expand it and scale it beyond what the animal himself would. So in other words, it's like, okay, it's really important for me to be strong and to be able to like defeat another animal in the jungle. Let's say like you're, you're going to stay within that animal realm, right? With the rational, if, if, if your rational drive becomes hijacked by the animal, it's like, okay, let's build a major army that we can drop bombs on. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a mixture of animal and rational. It also acts as a filter, right? Because like if we didn't have that in-between drive, we didn't have the rational drive, uh, and we just had the spiritual and animal drive, then we wouldn't have any like judgment of like what's right and wrong or like uh, which animal desires we should like follow and how we should follow them or whether we should like, uh, you know, learn to like condition them or to explore them and stuff like that. For sure, I'm just, I'm just noticing the fact that it's really interesting that, you know, they just have animal soul and they're not sinning. Like they're not... Yeah, they're well, it's fine, because they're you know? simpler. But also their purpose in the world is simpler. Yeah. Our purpose in the world is much more multidimensional mm-hmm. than, than an animal's mm-hmm. purpose. Yeah, well said. It's also like between the two, between animal and godly, I almost see the rational as like a transistor that gives you sort of choice and that gives you yeah, awareness, you know? And if you're just sort of like limited, unlimited, 
you essentially live with no choice, right? So there's no that's that, 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 that's right. That's where the, the free will comes in, right? And that's where the notion of merit comes in, and that's where all the things that we study, right? That's the particular challenge of man. And I think somewhere in, in the Torah it says that like all of this is like these are all uh, these are all like like truths or, or like this is all a guidance system for humans, right? Right. Right. Like we don't know what the spiritual struggle of a cow looks like, right? We can't even we can't even go there really, right? Or does he even have one? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we can study the spiritual struggles of cows. Spiritual struggles of cows. <laughs> Listen, a Look, cow. We, we know that sometimes when you murder its veal right in front of it, we like, know that cows have souls. Yo. I don't know, we like, also know that souls. sometimes it gives Absolutely. milk and sometimes yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. give milk. Why That's is it not no giving question. milk? Yeah. Have you looked at a veal in the eye? That's what I was gonna say. Veal like, is forty percent. For me, it's human. horses. In the, horses' eyes, like they carry so much. Like yeah. they've got a lot of emotions, man. Animals feel emotions. Like, tremendous, yeah, tremendous. Like, tremendous. Of emotions. Look, we have it's very specific like laws that. around slaughtering mm-hmm. cows because mm-hmm. uh, because we know that there's emotions, and we also mm-hmm. know that um, you know the glot. If you if you follow glot kosher, not just kosher, but glot kosher is about checking the lungs, and if the animal is experiencing any pain during the during the shechita, the lungs will contract, and we cannot use it as kosher meat or glot kosher meat. Mm-hmm. Or there's other punctures and holes, and there's other things that happen as a result of that, that we want to make sure there's not one bit of pain mm-hmm. because the animals have that really intense emotion, mm-hmm. especially the emotion of pain is very strong for an animal. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's why we have... Um, is pain an emotion? It's a different conversation, okay. yes, but it's a different conversation why. But well, that's why we have a law. We have a law of sarba, sarba which means if you, here's an example. If you see um, an ant on the ground that was, ha- let's say, half stepped on and like struggling to live, you have to kill it because you're not allowed to see an animal suffer. It's much more, it's, a human being, it's not the same thing. It's not, not at all, obviously not at all the same thing. Because right? we, we power life, we, we value life, not quality of life as humans. But for animals, because they experience pain so, so strongly as the, such, a, such an innate emotion of theirs, we have to be very careful to make sure they don't, they don't experience any pain. What if we see an animal struggling like, or suffering and um, it could like, heal or like, Yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's fine, to, that's no, fine. No, but like... It's an animal, if it's an ant in the ground that is already half dead. So, I mean, that's why I use that example. Yeah, but but for the, the Talmud gives an example. You can't tie an ox and a donkey together and plow a field because they go different, different speeds mm-hmm. and you're going to hurt one of them as a result of that. I'm just saying, like, in terms of that particular situation where uh, I'm not sure where it says to like, kill an animal that we see as suffering, like, who are we to judge whether that suffering could actually result in that animal like, healing and growing stronger from like, a whatever... Yeah. Absolutely yeah. no. Look, there's there's right, definitely I mean, the idea of rehabilitating. Terminal, if you see terminal. if if you see a, a a bird without a wing that's kind of flapping on the ground, it doesn't mean you kill it because it has it without a wing. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You can rehabilitate it, but you have to you know, and that's part of our a different drive. That's our intellectual, more rational drive that we have to use in order to understand that. But it's our responsibility towards the animals to rehabilitate, to help them, to make sure they don't suffer. That's that's what I'm saying. Forget about the ants for a second. I'm talking more about our responsibility towards the animals. So we can, I think that we can see here, we can start to develop this idea that there's goodness and there's obedience with which animals listen and follow. And humans have the ability to behave and learn from them. So 
If I had to sum up an animal's special quality, I would say it's passionate determination. Passionate determination. That an animal will do anything and everything to get what it wants or to get what the master desires. Nothing can get in its way. All of these qualities are found in the animal soul. It's really the animal soul that we need to have that faith in God, so to speak. If you want to have blind faith, it's only the animal soul that can have blind faith. The moment you employ the rational or the spiritual soul, you're not having blind faith anymore. That's why most people don't have blind faith. But if you want to have that purity, that simplicity, that's going to be employed by the animal soul. So there's a very, very strong need to hone, condition, and to understand the animal soul, even on a spiritual level. Because it's the animal soul that's going to be able to really allow us to emotionally experience everything in this world, both good, bad, and ugly. And what I find interesting now is more general point on language. So we, we, we use all of these terms, right? Soul, drive, and I'm using these terms that I'm right. using. And, and it's, we're, it's, we're my translation. it's my translation. Of course, of course. Well, you we're specifically said that we were going to go into... Right. What yeah. yeah. What I find interesting is that I'm reading... Uh, I told you about uh, Yoram Hazomi. You know David Hazomi? Yeah, yeah. You know his brother Yoram. His brother is a true scholar. And he's talking about uh, uh, reason and revelation, right? He goes, like, that distinction between like, if you look at the, the works of a philosopher or writer or whatever, they're considered to be works of reason. Why? Because it's a human being trying to make sense of things. And that's what it is, right? And then some other works, like, like, like the Torah, let's say, are supposed to be words of revelation, which is we received something directly from God, and so we're not allowed to scrutinize it with, with reason up until a certain point. But what he says is that, is that that entire distinction between reason and revelation came up around the Hellenist period with the Greeks, okay? And that the Torah comes way, like hundreds of years before that, right? And so the entire distinction of reason and revelation, the Hebrew scripture was not written with that distinction in mind at all, right? So he goes, he goes these individuals that came up with these concepts, okay, weren't even aware of the difference between God saying something and them thinking something through their reason if it was employed properly, Right? right. The, the distinction between the two was not clear to them. And it wasn't widely known, that distinction. And when, when I look at all, all, a lot of these concepts here, right, like, like the animal soul, the nishan, and so forth, it's like we have, we have so many different um, phenomena, like physical, mental, psychological, things that we don't understand, so many different phenomena. We could put words around them, right? And with a scientific mind, what we're going to do is that, is that every single phenomena, phenomenon has to be measurable and has to be more or less independent, right? In order to be given a name, right? And so when we have that scientific mindset, we create these little discrete, my finger is my finger, right? Or, or like, like one of the, one of the um, uh, key things in a scientific mindset is the separation between the mind and the body, right? And I was talking to this AI expert yesterday, he goes, where did that come from? He goes like, when you have like, he goes, the body is essentially water, okay? So it's electropulses. So there's an electrical pulse in your, in your calf, like it's going all the way to your brain. What do you think? Like, where did that distinction come from? And he says, some people say that it's, it's, it's a, the blood flow thing. It's like there's less blood 
It's like, so like the, the nature of your blood is different in your body. But he goes, even that doesn't really, doesn't really hold water. He goes, the distinction is, makes no sense, right? But it, science likes to separate things. We talk about that. Like, I think it's that we have like a primal like, uh, need to define things yeah. or to say this is that. That's right. This. And to define things in a very specific way. We don't like not way. knowing things. We, in a very specific way, right? It's like your head is this. Like I can measure it. It's, okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. It's your head. Well, some okay, people cool. more than others. But is your head really separated from like your hand, right? I, I think and, it's important to be able to embrace things we don't completely understand as things we course, don't completely understand and not need to like define everything to like a T. Yeah, but I think what's, what's amazing about the language, let's say of Kabbalah or of religion, I think what's really unique about it is that it has concepts that bring together multiple elements, okay, in a way that really we don't have access to today with our language, right? Because we talk about the animal drive, we're talking about in part some biological aspects, we're talking about in part some psychological aspects, but we're talking about a bunch of stuff that clearly exists, right? But we're taking this term and we're uniting these different elements inside of this concept. And so we can talk about it in a connective way, as opposed to in a disembodied way, which as much as it gives us the illusion that, that we're gaining knowledge, really we're disembodying things. So it makes it harder. We're gonna have to recreate those connections through language explicitly it's going to take us so long to get to the ability to quickly, when we say the animal soul, it's like we're talking about that entire complex of like drives and fear and physicality and pain and pleasure. And we're talking about, we're just saying rational, we're saying animal soul. And like we all get it. We all get it because it is, it is connected inside of us, those systems, right? So anyways, it's just a general point on, on language, you know, because when we talk about like, we talk about this language, we say, oh, they're analogies and they're metaphors. And lately I've been not satisfied with that because just saying it's a metaphor, it's like, okay, so what? So like, okay, so it doesn't mean what it says. Okay, and then what, right? But it's more than that. I, th- I, think, I think this language brings together elements together. It's connective language as opposed to disembodied language of science. And I think that it's, that's why it's interesting what we're doing here with the concepts is that we're defining the different elements for these different concepts, and we're creating vocabulary where we can talk in, in very few words about a lot of different phenomena, right? And, and it's I, interesting that, that we all kind of get it. Right? And, and I think that it's important, what you're saying is really, really important, that we should not get stuck up with uh, semantics mm-hmm. and words mm-hmm. and your mm-hmm. pre-definitions of those words. They're just, mm-hmm. call them metaphors. Vessels. Yeah. They're vessels yeah. that we're using in order to hold this information. Mm-hmm. Because it's true that you can so easily get stuck up on a certain scientific idea or a certain definition that you thought of a word that perhaps, I mean, just when I said before, you know, passionate determination, like, oh, well, passion, determination. I I think to be determined, like, you've you've got to think through something rationally. It's like you, we could play the, the, like the, the label game. And I think a lot of times when people disagree, so you listen to them and it's like, okay, they simply have different definitions of the same words. Like they're talking about, they're talking with the same words, but they're filling them up with different meanings. And that's why they're disagreeing. Mm-hmm. Like they just, it, they, they should almost like stop the disagreement and just go back to like, okay, what do what you mean? What does this word mean? Yeah. yeah, what do you mean by choice? Like when you say free choice, when you say right to life, what do you mean by life? Like when you say... Uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean by Trump? What do you mean by mean? <laughs> yeah, mean by mean. But it's really, it's like, let's have that discussion. Let's have, like, sure, let's I, think it's important it's, I think it's important to be able to identify whether that's the issue in like an argument or something like that if two people have a different definition. Different definition. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like when people talk about the greatest basketball player of all time, right? The GOAT. Who's the GOAT? And it's like, okay, 
What do you mean by greatest? No, no, do you mean the person that reached the highest level at one particular point in time? Do you mean body of work? Do you mean championships? Do you mean dom- like what do you mean? Right? That's that's a real discussion. The right. real discussion is what do you mean? Right. It's not, it's not just like using the same words and just spinning our wheels. Right, but it is it is a very when you're learning Kabbalah and when you're learning these new ideas, it's really important to have that overarching um, it's just, just get rid of whatever you thought. We're just using these as vessels or, or, mm-hmm. or metaphors Perfect. to be able to understand. Yeah, because because if, we said, if we said, well, really, it's the kajumaba of, of within ourselves. Well, so we need to use words that we understand. Yeah. Or people say religion. Religion is one of the best words. You know, God. You God. Know, God. Huh. Uh, there's that's words. a good shortcut. Yeah. That's right. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean by the ultimate? What do you mean is what do you mean by God? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh well. Are you talking uh, about a great big man in the sky that throws thunderbolts? Like, okay, I don't believe in that either. So I'm an atheist too. It's funny. It's funny because, like, I usually what what we could call God. Like, I usually don't call God. Like, I'll usually use a word like the universe or like something like that. You know. Um, but a lot of the times, I've found when I'm trying to like explain, you know, complex spiritual ideas to someone. I find the, the word God helps a lot and it's just easier to use that as a yeah. shortcut to kind of connect they, all these spiritual for things. For a lot of like, people. Oh, yeah, you know, that spiritual force of nature. But the pro- you know what the problem with God is? Is that so many other people mm-hmm. have defined it so differently than you. But well, when you're using that word, you're carrying all that so, baggage. So, so for me, it's exactly. like, uh, I'll use that word when I'm talking with someone that I know can only identify right. these things that I'm trying to explain with the word God. So like, I'll use that word to speak to a certain type of person and I know that that's, that's the only way I can... Get get into that like yeah. aspect it's by good. using if the word the God. Right person, it could be. It could be. That's what be I mean. Good, more right? like knowing the person that you're talking with and saying, okay, well, I'll explain this way because it's a good shortcut for you, and you'll get what I'm trying to say. Generally, I other think people, that, I uh, wouldn't use the word God because I know that they if have you wrote an article, more negative. Say, like, if you wrote, what's your name? Sorry, my name is Matt. Matt, Fred. Um, if you wrote an article, let's say, I would highly recommend against using the word God unless you would explain 100% because what happens I'm, is that I'm talking God about using it as a shortcut yeah, in sure. a given the right situation person. that you're yeah, speaking with someone who, who needs that word totally. to understand we use saying. it here all the time right the godly soul we talk right, about right. because we, we kind of I'd like, rather use Hashem or a higher power right. that doesn't have as much baggage I think what you're saying about the baggage is the very baggage. important look there's it's people true. who no, blow themselves up in the name of a God I mean how can you How I don't want to carry that baggage that's insanity that's crazy I used to be really I like before this that I start to use it as a shortcut in certain conversations I used to be really like just staying away from using that like that word because it just had a, such a like simple um, ba- like it's like the attachment to it the, the like it, it's baggage to me was such a like it was almost like um, how do I explain it? like uh, like such a sort of as such a pop culture sort of connotation like that. It's more than pop culture. It's the whole history of religion. Now, the problem is when we talk, like, our goal should be, like, we should have a goal of efficiency. In other words, like, like if I'm talking to you about stuff, about stuff like this or whatever, right? My goal should be that I would like you to understand it from a communication point of view. I would want you right. to understand what I'm talking about as quickly as possible, right? right? That's, that should be the goal. And I think that certain words are what I call bankrupt, in the sense that they create mm-hmm. more confusion mm-hmm. than clarity, and so if I talk God to is you, one of them. definitely one yeah. Of them if sure. I talk to you, and if, if I'm like, if I'm not sure that you can understand the word God the way that I would understand it, which 
I wouldn't assume that of anybody because everybody probably has their especially own Especially in our society. Especially in our society. So I, I, would, I would hold back on using it because the minute it comes oh, out of my confusion. mouth. Yeah, the minute it comes out of yeah. my mouth, you are thinking of all your seven ideas, things yeah. that I'm not thinking about at all. Yeah. So that I'm going to have to talk about that, that for that an hour. That person's views on religion officially like play a role, a role in like the conversation. Mm, exactly. So, and so, and especially today. That. So what happens is that we almost need to create a new vocabulary that is more in line, that's more specific in a way. It's more difficult, right? But it's got to be more precise and in a way that doesn't create as many exactly. um, confusions so that we can develop a little bit more efficiency and we can go a little bit more to the point on what, what we're actually talking about, right? Yeah. And that's the, it's the, the challenge, the challenge of language in the end, right? But I think that what's, what's good in this context and in this environment is that we're, we're speaking beyond the language. And I think that we're understanding a lot of ideas that perhaps the language couldn't even understand. Like if we were to limit ourselves by language and worry about the semantics of language, then we wouldn't be able to understand half of these concepts. But what well, we're doing I, is we're getting I, to the I, essence. I think another important point that we're making here that we might be kind of overlooking is that when you have a conversation with another person, when you have a discussion with another person, it's important not to just know what you are trying to say, but to know the person you're speaking to like, and be able to convey your message in a way that, you know, try to understand how they see things so that you can try to help you them, to. help them understand what you're saying by explaining it in like a personalized way, you have as to. opposed to just shooting your ideas and like opinions yeah, well, in the, your the, own way. That's in a meet to you, right? If, if I'm talking to you and if I kind of know who you are, Consider then I need to do that, right? Yeah. But a lot of, some people don't, some people will just project. Why? Like, because when you want social media, you're talking to everyone. You're talking to society at large, mm -hmm. right? And that's a different form of communication. Mm -hmm. And that's when you're doing that, it's, it's hard to personalize stuff. Now, even then, you need to know who your audience is. Know your and audience. You, you need to know what they... Know your receiver. Yeah, know your receiver. Yeah. Otherwise, how, how are you structuring your message? Right? Yeah, when you're posting something now, do you ask yourself, why am I saying this? Yes. Or who's listening to it? Yes. It's funny, actually, because I'm having like... I a... think about that a lot now. Mm -hmm. Much more than I did before. There's no question about it. And I, I, and I actually, I post a lot less than I used to. And I think through much, uh, much more of, you know, cause I, I look at it now as the lighthouse that's sending out that message. You don't even know if the boat is passing by, but if perhaps a boat is passing by, you want to make sure that the boat sees the light. But how do we define that it's necessary even to send out that message or to share personal things all the time? Like, mm. you know, it's like, for some reason I have, it's just actually interesting. To me what's personal is uninteresting. Well, like, it, who wants to know that, like, I made spaghetti for my kids tonight? Like, who well, cares? Well, no, but it's, it's, see, it just depends. And it's actually funny that we're talking about this, because, like, even this morning, like, for example, like, I did a post on social media this morning, and it's causing me a bit of anxiety. Like, What it, was your post? Well, it's kind of, I have to explain a lot of things to explain it, but I'm, it, a, I'm an all, artist, I'm a graffiti artist. Where is it on? What, what platform is it? On Instagram. On Instagram, yeah. okay. I saw it. Yeah. So, so just, I mean, just quickly, I just want to, because it's interesting, because, like, I've even been having a bit of trouble focusing this morning because I keep thinking about like, so, was it necessary? Was that post necessary? Or like, you know, why did I? It's good that you're thinking that. I'm yeah. happy that you're here in this space and you're thinking that. Well, it's cool to vocalize it a bit because that was the only like thing in my head that was like kind of. So what was your what's your hesitation about? What's your so so like I'll give you an example. I've been traveling the world for the past like year and I barely posted on like I pretty much didn't post on Facebook all year because I felt that that like feeling of wanting to post mm -hmm. or take away from the experience. Take away from the experience. So I yeah. said, you know what, whatever. When I get home and I'm bored sitting at home, maybe I'll post some pictures. You know what I mean? So. And, and I felt kind of liberating to not post and yeah, not totally. like feel like, okay, I need to like uh, display my experience. I've been uh, living like that for five years, it's great. 
It's awesome. Uh, it was a post year. It was a past year. I know. But I've been living like oh, you've been living. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So so I've really been like that, and I'm actually pretty reluctant to share things on social media because it causes me a bit of anxiety. You know what I mean? But uh, I'm an artist. I'm a very active artist, and like um, I have like my Instagram account where I network with other artists, and there I feel like it's necessary for me yeah. to go through the trouble of being like, "Hey, yo, I painted this. Yeah. It's about this or that. I painted yeah, this totally. person, that person." To share my art with other artists, so we could sure. you know network and stuff. Yeah. Um, and this morning I did a post that wasn't of like a painting that I did, but kind of an experience I had this weekend painting with this group of people and a bunch of like behind the scene pictures. And I was like, just kind of thinking, oh, is that like, should those behind the scene things stay behind the scene and just be part of like normal life or was it necessary to share it? And I'm just thinking like, cause it like, it would be cool if it was just the story, if the story, it was the story behind the thing and if that story wasn't like kind of displayed to the public and just the final result is displayed to the public. So I was kind of like, oh, but should the I post that? Up, was what will people was think? It, what was the actual It's photo? photos, behind the scene photos of behind this the weekend before posting the results. I mean, if I was a fan of your art, you to me that would, that would be pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. You know, to see the behind the scenes. I mean, that that's, Instagram is, is great for those little personal moments where if I'm following like a, like a well, musician, I, I would, he's just I, playing piano. Well, his, I try, I try to use my Instagram to not, to not do personal moments, but to show final results, I got a professional kind of thing, you know? Yeah. But anyways, the point of what I was trying to say, like the reason it's relevant at all is because I was saying like, um, that, you know, my need to like portray like a certain part of my life to like the public, like, and whether that was right or whether that was wrong or what people will think or how people will receive what I'm conveying has been, is lingering in my mind and it's causing me a bit of stress, you know? So it's interesting the way that like is it because is it because you feel like you've shared something on a personal level that you you think you should have kept personal or private well because i'm big on yeah, yeah maybe yeah maybe i don't know so it's all about like how much of yourself do you want to reveal i know some people and 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 this is actually well, terrible it's it's zero yeah 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 their personal life their... is all on facebook yeah yeah every drop facebook. every drop so of like you're pers- subjecting everything to everybody's opinions and then you yeah. have haters and then you have people who just see it and don't even interact which is even more screwed up right? <laughs> there, there, are people, there, there are people that like, any no. drop any drop of their no. identity that they could get their hands on they'll like, hey, look, guys, this is me, this is me, this Not is me. to generalize, but often when you see couples posting personal things about each other on Facebook, yeah. their relationship is not really good. Yeah. Not, not always, but often. Yeah. And the question for you, it would be more about what the actual post was about. I think if it was just you, like, actually playing around with other artists. It's, it's more that, of a thank you cool. thing. It's more of a thank you thing. It's like, I was just explaining how I just, like, I had so much fun painting this weekend with these people. Yeah. We had such an awesome experience painting this wall. Sounds like a cool and post. I don't, I don't have the final, I don't have the final <laughs> photos yet, but... Last night, just, it was actually cool. We painted like an awesome wall this weekend. And like last night we finished the wall and it was such a good vibe. And we were putting in even that extra, like all those extra little details. Like, and everyone, there was so much love being put into the wall last night and we left with such a good vibe and everyone was like, and it's cool because to be honest, the people that I work with, a lot of the time are getting drunk and like not finishing projects and like, it's always, and, and yesterday we really gave the wall the love it deserved. Everyone felt really happy about it afternoon. It was such a positive vibe. I went home with such a good feeling of like, so then I asked myself, that should be a per, should that be a person? Like, why, why should mm-hmm. that even be like, like minimized to like a, a fuck, sorry, like a social media post? Like, it was an awesome life experience. Like, you know, so why am I? I've heard of, I've heard of tree huggers, but people? it was more of a thing. Wall huggers. Wall huggers. Yeah, that's Hashtag right. wall huggers. Wall huggers. <laughs> but that's just a question I'm asking you. Like, it's hard to identify, to be honest. It's hard to give you an honest answer. Like, a lot of times, like, like, I post, it's just selfish, you know? Is it? Yeah, no, but. Uh, a lot of times, not. You know what? To, to really, I think, I think, really I think you're concerned about the right the, the to, line to that really, you're concerned about is super valid, 
I'm just not sure that that post is on the wrong side of the line. It feels to me like that, and I have to see the post and stuff, but it, it, it sounds to me like the line that you're worried about is absolutely valid. In other words, like certain things should remain personal, certain things should remain to yourself. Like if, if you're really just Especially in the graffiti world. Yeah. I believe that graf the graffiti world is very mysterious. So yes. the things that happen behind these walls, oh, right. people see the walls and they're like, oh, maybe there's a thing there. Like how, why, maybe there's a, what? Do you feel there's a community norm? You gotta be able to be cool about all this awesome stuff that happens feel, behind. Do you feel like I know, for instance, like a lot of like like street art. I don't know if you're into, like if you're in the street art sort of branch, but uh, do a, a little bit of everything. A, a, lot, a lot of street artists are like, okay, like the making of is very. It's almost like a trade secret. It's like it should stay totally. Banksy style. Like I'll, I'll give an example. The Banksy go I'll, up on this. Thing. I'll give an example. I'll give, I'll give if you show the making of, you'd be violating a community norm. It's true. You don't it's want like to you're showing a trade secret. It's like a mentalist going on on YouTube and saying, okay, you know. What? This is how I do that. This is how I do that. No, 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 no. And, and it is a huge aspect, of course. And some of us don't lot, even want to know how the mentalists do it because we like to appreciate the art. I don't arts. want to know. I don't want to know. A lot of people don't know who I am. Like I've been walking with people that have said, like, "Oh, look how cool that mural is," and I'll be like, "Yeah, that's a cool mural." And I know in my head I did that mural and I worked really hard on it, but I'd rather just kind of be. It feels yeah, cooler to be like right. Spider Man about it, you know? It's like. But do you I, still sign it with a brand? My 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 your, your alter ego. Yeah, but they don't know it's you. They don't know, not everyone That's knows cool. it's me. I don't post my art on Facebook, for example. So everyone knows, like the reason why, I don't, maybe this would be interesting actually. Um, the reason why I don't post my, my art on Facebook, it's actually my real name, so my Instagram is my artist name, mm -hmm. um, is because I worry about how like the social like reward that I'll be getting from all the people who know me that know I did all these awesome things, how it'll affect my art or like the purity or innocent, like the naturalness of my art, you know what I mean? Like, Everyone knowing that I did that and that and that and that, that becoming part of my identity instead of me really my raw like self being my identity. But I have, I have another change. question for you. The likes that you get on Instagram, does that affect the kind of art that you do? Um, what, you know what, so it's a good question and it's kind of, I'm actually glad you reminded me because that's what Lilo asked me about this post that I'm talking to you guys about. Which she was like, why did you do, why did you do the post? Like was it, was it for you or was it for, you know? And. The truth is, like, to be completely real with you guys, like, I think it's because I, I think it's because the same reason a lot of people do uh, certain social media posts is because I want people to know how cool I am. Mm. You know what I mean? I want people to know. Well, that's you just described ninety-seven percent of social media. I think okay. it's important to be able to. Yeah, <laughs> it's like projecting an idealized image of yourself. So I think that's why I feel like discomfort because it's kind of like, do I need like why do I need people to know how how awesome. What I did this weekend is yeah. with these people, you know. Yeah. Why do I need to share? Like if you were truly awesome, if I was so truly I awesome, like, yeah, exactly. I have that. Like for instance, my, it, my wife, it, my wife believes every like social media. She believes it's evil. She believes it's talk. It's like smoking a cigarette. She thinks it's toxic. <laughs> it, it is. It actually. is. She's you know what? Actually, actually, scientifically, scientifically, scientifically yeah, it, it, I know it's terrible. Yeah. The actual chemical reactions that that are happening it's when horrible. we get these likes and stuff are. One hundred percent. Social media users. There's there's certain similarities like that are. Like, on, like in terms of like biological, like mm -hmm. bodily, mm -hmm. like chemical reactions and stuff, mm -hmm. is the same as doing drugs. Yeah, like, absolutely. Exact same as doing drugs. Yeah, of course, it turns you into an addict. It, it, it's it, there's a lot of science about this, but people take down yeah, their posts really if they don't get enough videos. likes. I think it's there is a healthy. You should have a whole class about this. Like, I think there is a healthy zone for social media. I don't think we've come even close to finding what it is. Mm -hmm. I think it changes by platform. The reason I like Twitter the most is because Twitter is the mo is the least personal. Twitter is like really you have to have something interesting to say. It's, it's a like, real lighthouse. It's it's a real lighthouse. It's like you can yeah. just give the pure message and that's it. Whereas everything else is much more image. And if you image. can't say it in 167 the images, characters, the don't bother thing. saying. The image is the big thing. The and the videos. Huge. 
Uh, an image is a thousand words, right? Yeah, so, that's right. Now, so I, think, like, I think it's also, there's a separation that, that when you go from professional to personal, so it's like if, if, if it's in line with something that you're doing professionally, I think that line becomes a little bit clearer versus 100%. if you're trying to show your life and how cool you are and whatever. And, and, and so, but because my wife has influenced me in that direction, I, I see what she means. It's like we go through certain experiences, we go through certain things that would be, it would get a ton of likes, let's say, on Facebook, okay? But it's like, if I'm really like having that amazing experience, why is it important for me to show it off to other people? To maybe yeah. make them feel bad about it, to maybe, maybe <laughs> but you know, make them haters. jealous of it. You know what? I've had, I've had such I know there are haters, you know, out there. It's not healthy, you know? Like, while I was traveling, like I've seen people, like let's say I'm watching an amazing sunset and there's other people watching the amazing sunset next to me and they're just taking pictures constantly through the whole sunset. So it's like, did you even once look at the sunset? You know what I mean? Did that's you, right, that's right. You know, so for me, did, I had this did, thing. Did the recording actually take away from the actual experience? On a huge level, on yeah. a huge level because it starts to become destroy the, the experience. The destructive, the destructive path that this stuff is leaving in our in our modern like yeah, culture. Cool. How, how old are you? Is I'm 26 now. It's cool. But that, like young on, people that grew up with social media are, are coming up to these conclusions. Because for us, it's, for me, it's easier because I saw the world without and I saw the world with, and I yeah. saw people get carried away and well, have well, a the destructive effect on their the life. The destructive path that this is leaving in our like culture um, is that it's minimizing every moment to a social. Um, like display, because because you know. like it's literally it's like oh my god I'm seeing this. The I like to I like to defend the social media people this. for a second. There is a healthy. Zone I really for communication. So for me, mm. I my art form is pictures. Mm -hmm. That is my art form, and a lot of people would say, well, you know, and I will be that kind of person who will spend three four hours at a sunset to get the perfect, perfect right. shot. Right. But I'm not doing it- Is it, it for other people? I'm not doing it for other people. I'm doing it to appreciate the yeah. art. That's yeah. my art. Like you like to paint on a wall. Mm -hmm. I like to take a picture. Mm -hmm. and, and, and sometimes it could take me three or four hours to get the picture that I'm really, in my mind, that I really yeah. envisioned well, I was gonna I get. I think I've just recently made that transition this past year, because I learned a lot on my travels. Like that mainly was doing the travel, it was like a spiritual, well, maybe get the chance to talk about it more like another day, but. Um, I, I realized before I left, um, public art, being a public artist, it being like a very socially charged thing. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I realized before I left that uh, everything of what I was doing, every bit of energy that I was putting into my art and everything that I was doing was 100% for, for validation in others, like mm -hmm. for, other, for what other people thought of me and like... Some of that is okay though. Sure, uh, some of that's okay. okay. Well, yeah. We need validation of others. Well, okay. We're part it's, of a society. Hold on. It was 100 yeah. Like, for example, like in your situation, it would be like 100% of what, what you're doing when you're spending that time taking those pictures is you're thinking like, oh, what will that person think of this picture? What will that person think of this picture? Like, I realized almost every bit of energy I was putting into what I was doing was for my need for like, accept, like accept, being accepted into a crowd, stuff like that. On my travels, like I found my own relationship with what I was doing and I started to realize like, like, oh my God, this could be my friend. Like, you know, we, we're friends, you know, and I'm friends with my art. It's not like something that I'm using to get like social stuff. And I, and I over my, my travels, learned to be doing what I'm doing a lot more for myself. And, and it shows in my art on a huge level. Yeah. It's so important to be authentic to yourself, and then it's also important to sometimes communicate with others. Sometimes there's a message that is worth sharing. We're talking about well, it, that line. Your relationship. There's certain things that are worth sharing. And I think one of the problems with social media also, so like my my art form is words. 
That's my art form. That's what I do. I write, whatever. And sometimes I find that, like, I'm going to go on Facebook and I have some friends that are, like, Facebook activists. Mm -hmm. And they, like, they, like, and what I find with that is that there are certain complex ideas. Like, if I'm putting in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours working on something, okay, and I throw it out on Facebook, Just okay, a... it's almost like I spent thousands of hours working on, I don't know, a cool shoe. Like, I'm a shoemaker, okay? And it's like I'm going out on the street and I'm putting my shoes and anybody can take them, anybody can spit on them, anybody can talk crap about it's like, no, you know what? You haven't paid the price that you need to pay to have an interaction with what I've worked on. So I am gonna create a boutique and you can come into my boutique now. You've got to respect <coughs> the space. You could take a look at the shoe. If you want it, you have to you have to pay a price for it. And you could say in your head, this is the most garbage shoe I've ever seen in my life and you could walk out of my store but you know what you've entered my space you've given the time that it deserves it's like it's like, go, like going on Facebook is like it's like taking all this stuff taking all the best stuff the stuff that's most precious mm -hmm. to you mm -hmm. and and you're and you're whoring it out you're whoring it yeah, out yeah. for free um you and know what like, I, I think I, that it's I know? think that it's super necessary to tie this conversation we're having into the main subject of today's class um, which I think is is relatable to almost anything we could be talking about which is what what roles are the three are the three um, souls. souls souls playing in this? So you've got the you've got the uh, the animalistic soul, which is like our our like uh, desire. First of all, our desire to do shit, whatever the intention might be, uh, and our desire to be you know like for people to like us and like oh we're gonna do this and all people like us or put that you know. So it's super like primal thing there that we're doing, and I think a lot of the social media posts and stuff are very like primal need for like um, yeah, instant, instant recognition instant recognition stuff like that then you have the intellectual side that like that's kind of like uh, judging like oh like is this does it make sense for me to be doing this or does it not make sense to be doing this or is it well written enough or like what will other people think Sometimes we know the what, rational what people can be hijacked think? by the animal and then, and then let's, he doesn't know that yet and then let's, <laughs> that's, that's huge and then let's talk about the, the role that the spiritual side plays which to be honest I think that's actually an element in my anxiety that I had about the post that I did this morning. I don't think the because godly soul lives on Facebook. It could. The, but it may be. It the, could. Maybe. Sorry, you mean the... The, the godly soul, yeah. The well, godly soul I, could well, live on hold Facebook. On, maybe. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So, so let's that's talk about that, because I think that's really I'm interesting. I'm <laughs> So let's talk about that. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. For me, I think the role that my godly soul plays in this is actually usually what makes me not post. Mm -hmm. Me too. Stuff. Me too. I'm um, in the same boat. And, and, I think that the is, same and I think that it's my godly soul. I'm like, I'm cheapening it. That all these people are going to yeah, yeah, yeah. hate it. So, so it does like, you, know, like, you so don't it deserve this. The godly soul doesn't want to be Because the third soul, because the third soul, the godly soul, I think is what made me not post all year about my travels and stuff like that because it 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 it, it realized like on a spiritual level i saw these things as more than a post or more mm. than mm. something to share for social more precious yeah because of my soul because of my spiritual because the spiritual value of these things and it's and it's actually the same thing that's caused me trouble what, what i think what, what what rabbi is saying is that maybe there's a way to be truly driven by the godly soul and can then, a, can a social and media then, post really be and, driven and then, by but, but listen to this and then maybe not be used by social media for its dynamics which are exactly what mm -hmm. we talk mm -hmm. about which is instant gratification mm -hmm. and rapid consumption and throwing out these idealized versions of ourselves to feel good about instead of, of of engaging in that process maybe using it as a tool to communicate certain things with certain but if you, if you would have to do that 
it would have to be truly in a very, very particular way, right? With rules of engagement. You see, for instance, I find, I, I, sometimes I look at certain thinkers that I find are doing a great job with their messaging and their platform. Mm-hmm. So listen, I, I've done an actual analysis. I'm like, how do these people use social media? Let's take a look. I have three, four, five people that I think are doing a great job getting their message out there in an authentic way, in a cool way. And I'm taking a look. How do they use, right? How do they use It's interesting it? to see. And, and what I find, it's very interesting. And yeah. what I find about Facebook, every single time, I, I've, I've done this with maybe six or seven thinkers, okay? Like uh, people that you probably, you guys probably know that, that are in the culture, that are doing a great job communicating their message. On Facebook, every single one, so first of all, some of them don't use Facebook at all. And it's like, there'll be like a fan page of them on Facebook, right? The ones who use Facebook, use Facebook as a one-way channel only. In other words, they don't interact with people. They just take like something that they've posted, like a blog post or a video or whatever, and they just, they just post it and that's it. They let it live. They don't interact. They don't go in the comments. They don't go back and forth. They, don't, they just use it as a one-way channel. Yeah, that's kind of how That's I how they use it. It's interesting. That's what I do. That's how they use People it. People get really frustrated with me about I, that I, I because I don't get involved in some of the arguments that are going yeah. on in my well, Facebook. It's like, oh, it's like whatever. I, I publish my piece. You <laughs> guys, you guys a, a, really, a really cool thing that this conversation was making me realize, yeah. that I didn't want to interrupt you before, but like, it's interesting because I, I, I I'm actually curious to know what other people think about this idea. So, I think that um, spiritual um, acts are usually more defined by things that you resist doing than things that you actually do in the sense where it's like where it's like for me if there's any role that this that the godly soul plays in me doing a play, it's not doing it you don't it's, think you don't think you don't think you're engaging your godly soul when you're doing your art when i'm doing my art yeah yeah of course but you're missing the point what, I, what i'm trying to say is in terms of like the social media post mm-hmm. like like I think that the, the, when I picture a role that my godly soul will be playing in it, it would be not posting it. So, and I find that discipline, or in terms of like not doing things or not indulging, I'm in, with you. By not the way. indulging in animalistic today. Desires, I, with you. I, I think is 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 uh, what I'm trying to say is I think a lot of the acts of yeah. of the godly soul are actually the not but, acting. But, but just like just like desires. you recognize that you are engaging your godly soul when you're doing your art. Whether I, and I'm with you in terms of I have not figured it out on social media a way to do it that's that's really authentic that doesn't feel cheap that mm-hmm. doesn't feel mm-hmm. like like and I'm I'm st- I think I'm starting to find that way it's it's very tricky mm-hmm. and I don't think we found it in general I think there's clear rules but it's it's tricky but I think what what, what uh, the rabbi is saying is that maybe just like there's a way for you to do your art in a way that you're not doing it, you're doing it really in a pure intention. I'll be way. honest with you. Maybe there's a way to use social media in that way. But dude, you know what? It's nice to think, I haven't found it, but. As, as an artist, like as an active artist, like I could tell you that, I'm sorry to inform you, but a lot of the artists, even famous artists in history, like that you think had such a like clear spiritual channel. No. Like a lot of- I don't of, of artists at all. Even some I of work the, with a lot of artists. I know. Yeah, yeah. So, so what artists. I'm trying to say is like, you're saying like, oh, aren't you engaging your godly soul in doing your art? Of course. Of course I'm engaging my godly soul in doing my art. But like, what I'm trying to say is it's not a purely a spiritual. It, it would be nice no. if it was. No, no, of course but it's, not. But there's always a the social element. Absolutely. You know, every artist in the history of mankind was like, they want to be the only godly. That's like the ego, the it's ego, impossible. The ego plays an important role. In, like, of course. I've seen the ego drive, Desire for recognition. drive people to create. Amazing stuff. A, amazing stuff that Absolutely. if we're doing it for the soul, oh, they probably yeah. wouldn't have put, if totally. it was really godly things, 100%. they probably wouldn't have put that much effort into 100%. it. You know? and, and one thing also that we learned is that you cannot be 100% godly. 
it's impossible. It's not, it's not, it's not of our pay grade. If, if, we, if God wanted that, then we would have kept the angels. Mm-hmm. Th- then we wouldn't have existed. We, we don't need to exist to be 100% godly. Mm-hmm. True. It's about to bring godliness into this world. Mm-hmm. But if you can use your desire for recognition as energy and motivation to be, but be driven by a higher part of yourself, yeah. okay? Yeah. To produce your art, then, then you're, doing, you're doing something great. Because yeah, you are using the animal for a higher purpose. You're right. Exactly. You're using it, the animal to drive. And that's the difference between Judaism and Buddhism, for instance. But it's interesting. We don't want to destroy the animal. It's interesting though because yeah, we look at the three. We look at the three souls as we want to tame level. the animal. We want to tame the animal. Well, it's interesting because we look at the three souls almost as levels. Like this is the, the animal is no, the lowest one. No, it's not. And no, the it's not. We don't see levels. But we could use that. Yeah, we it's layers. There's just different layers of your personality. Mm-hmm. It, Hillel, Hillel did it all in a three-line poem. Hillel did it all. He said, "If I'm not for myself, who will be for me?" Mm-hmm. But if I'm only for myself, what am I? And if not now, then when? That's it. That's all you need I to like know. that. There's nothing else really you need to know. That's Those really three cool. lines are worth more than thousands of pages of philosophy. If I'm not for myself, who will it be for me? Nobody. Like, you have to be for yourself. Of course. That's what you are. That's, that's, that, that, that. What? You're, I'm going to depend on other people? I'm going to ask other people to take care of me? Like, what is that? I'm going to be dependent? No. If I'm not for me, who will it be for me? But if I'm only for myself, what am I? Nothing. What are you? You're a speck of dust. How important are you that you should only be for yourself? Really? Uh, you're that significant? No, you're not. You're a little drop of sand. Nothing. That's all you are. And if yeah. not now, when? The dimension of time. If you can't play these things out in a particular moment in time. Yeah, if you can't like act on your thoughts. If you can't poem that I find like if you but you really says it but all. even even more if you yeah, can't yeah, no, no, act it's on it's your really on your thoughts stuff. and you shortcut. can't and, and you can't say what you're things. thinking then you miss the whole point. If you can't act because the purpose of being in this world is to act. Let's just mm. finish this whole idea of the animal soul because that is I want to wrap that up today. That, that concept well, is next week. Yeah. Back in, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm saying, like, I want to wrap up the animal soul today. I think this yeah. has been a very interesting thing because I do think it does play out very well into the animal soul mm-hmm. and how it works. And I think we are able to see now this very practical usage of how do we tame the animal and how we really use the animal soul. So, I, from here, I would say that we've come to the conclusion that the animal soul at this moment is neutral, it's not evil. It's neutral. It's passionate. It's full of desire. The direction of its desires, the way its passion will be directed, depends on its environment. Mm -hmm. The analogy would be the air that the creature breathes, or the function of the lungs is to breathe, but the type of air that's taken in depends on the environment. Whether you're in the smog of Shanghai or you're in the fresh air of Tremblant. The lungs are still going to do their work, but the the Tremblant lungs are going to do their work differently than the Shanghai lungs. That's the reality. So that's what the animal soul can be. It could be in Shanghai and it could be in Tremblant. It could be breathing air differently depending on where it is. So the animal soul in a materialistic environment of money, of physical pleasure. The soul is going to desire material, physical things. In a bad spiritual environment where God, where Torah, where mitzvot are concealed, or maybe even worse, maybe they're even scoffed at, 
the drive is going to be harnessed into paths that will lead to spiritual corruption. But in a good spiritual environment, one of metaphysical beings, one of angels, one of maybe simply good, decent, God-fearing people, its passion is going to be directed towards spiritually goodly things. Imagine a puppet. The movement of the puppeteer's hands determine the direction of the, that the puppet's going to follow. Even though the people who are watching, if the puppeteer is a good puppeteer, see the puppet's movements, it's really the puppeteer who's deciding how the puppet's going to move and how it's going to react. So that's what the animal soul is. The animal soul is the puppet, and we are the puppeteer. The same is true here. This animal soul, this animal drive, Kabbalah teaches us that the animal drive is able to connect more passionately to God than the spiritual drive, than the godly soul. It has the ability to connect more passionately than any of the other drives, than any of the other souls. It's just really interesting because it's very often like thought of as the furthest from mm-hmm. the spiritual soul. No, it can be. From the lower you come, the Talmud says, from the lower you come, the higher you can rise. I really like that. It's super interesting. The reason, and we're going to understand this a little more as we go through the strengths of the, of the godly soul. We're going to get there in, a few, in maybe two weeks or three weeks. But the godly that soul the, also has its limitations for us. Right. But the, the strength of the godly soul is elokus, is godliness, which necessitates a more calculated approach than the simple passion of the, of the animal drive. Therefore, the passion for God, as seen from the godly soul, becomes really limited. Because it's calculated, it's determined, it wants God, it wants spirituality. Like, like a person who's been eating, let's say, as an example, someone who's been eating non-kosher food for years, and all of a sudden decides they're not going to eat non-kosher food anymore. They're going to, so to speak, uh, employ the, the, the spiritual side of themselves and realize that kosher is a, a spiritual diet, it's a godly diet, and they're going to stop eating non-kosher food. What, he, what happens is that person's fervor and enthusiasm becomes totally passionate for God, literally. They become in love through their food because the food is such a primal element. They are able to be in love with God through food. To compare this idea of, uh, of the practice of a mitzvah to people who were born, let's say, into a family that never saw or never smelled or never knew what non-kosher food looked like or tastes like or smells like, to find that their practice in the mitzvah is maybe dry or cold. Maybe it's missing the heart and soul because they don't know the difference. Why is it that way? Because when something is natural to a person, it doesn't mean as much compared to something that's new and unnatural to a person's experience. It's almost like the, 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 the animal drive or soul, even physical, it's just, there's a lot of energy in it. Absolutely. There's a lot of energy. And this, the, the point is this energy can be used. It can be harnessed. For different purposes. Absolutely. And if you lose the energy... But I think it's even more so. You can't use it for those purposes the, as the, much. The person who just started keeping kosher and who knows what non-kosher food tastes and smells like, there's an excitement there. There's a raw passion that's like, almost like an animal passion. Where the person who never saw non-kosher food, it's very, very dry. 
So what we want to do is we want to try to find that animal passion in everything we do, even if we've been doing it for years. So since the animal soul's desire for God is a novelty, it's passionate, constantly fresh, warm, and exciting. It, it, it brings a certain element to spirituality and to godliness that none of the other souls can bring. It brings this raw, real, authentic passion that we need in this world. It's, it's, it's only, missing. It's, it's the only real thing. Like and it's missing from for, a lot of people's spiritual like experiences. Song, the most like, real thing. You don't, yeah, you don't like a song unless it has that... You know what I mean? You Absolutely. Wouldn't, you wouldn't like a song that's 100%. It'd be a boring like, song if, if, right? If you liked it if for it was, purely intellectual reasons. Yeah. It's like, it, oh, it's this is a mixture of funk and this Shut up. There's no such thing. Like, people ask me what kind of music I listen to. I listen to soul music. Yeah. And they ask me to define soul music. It's like, well, basically any good music. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Let me ask you, do you like The Weeknd? Or is uh, it like too commercial for actually, you? Actually, actually. Uh, good stuff. To, to be honest with you, okay, like, let's let's let's, let's, let's let's finish the class. Yeah. All right. So I, I gotta get going. Hold on a second. Let's just finish one one little yes. element here, just to finish this idea. On the other hand, a lot of times people don't like stuff because it's too commercial. The it's godly drive, since its desire for God is natural, it doesn't get excited about godliness. It says, "What's the big deal? I've seen God for years. Give me a break. What are you?" animal drive getting so excited about eating kosher. <laughs> Come on, it's obvious that's what God meant for you to do. That The passion for God is not there. The special quality is called koach hamisaveh, the power of passion. And that is what we want to try to do to our animal drive, to our animal soul. We want to hone its power of passion. Because it has within it the idea to make things new, the idea to make things exciting, this idea to make things fresh, the idea to, for us to have a drive. You even, I mean, I, I feel it when I, when I study and when I do things. I, I, and, and, and I think that that is such a powerful thing that Kabbalah teaches and how we really, that the animal soul is such an amazing part of who we are. Which, you know, you have Matt who can take and you can, can use that animal soul and the passion and drive and make a picture of who knows what. Or he can make a picture of something spiritual and something that is from his heart and from the, yeah. the essence of his being. You have a person who can say something that is full of whatever, you know, or you can have someone who can say something with passion and drive, that same passion and drive that's full of incredible energy, or do something, or, or change something, or experience something. And the animal soul is really what allows us to live within this world, but rise above it. Yeah. You know, that's my I, thought. I gotta say, like, before today, I really think that uh, the animal soul, for me, like our primal desires and stuff like that, like um, we're bad. It, in my mind, were bad things that we're needed to be conditioned. That needed to be conditioned and even like um, uh, sustained. Uh, no, sorry, not sustained. What's the word? Uh, restrained. Restrained. Yeah. You know, and like I, I always felt like okay, we've got to learn how to, you know, take our animal desires and you know, learn discipline. Buddhism, Buddhism, Christianity, that, yeah. a lot of spiritual like do that. Yeah. Not Judaism. Judaism doesn't do that. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and I think it's, it's cool true, actually. It is Buddhism because Judaism, I, I read a lot of, about Buddhism growing up. Judaism doesn't, doesn't demand that you deny part of yourself. Well, hold on. I want, to, I want to hear your point, man. I want to hear your point, but hold on. Judaism does not require you to deny part of yourself. You have to use 
all right. parts mm-hmm. of yourself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. learn how to channel them to a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. It's a very different operation than saying there's part of you that's evil. There's where, part of you that's dirty. Buddhism, Buddhism on the other hand, which is I read a lot too. growing up. Christianity too. Is like, it's true. Christianity is the ultimate one. Yeah. But the, the yeah. flesh is evil. Mm, okay. Yeah, the, 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 the original yeah, sin I, is I the sin that, of the flesh. I think that in Christianity, it's a bit more like these are evil things. Like your, your, yeah. your primal desires are evil. I think in Buddhism, it's a bit more it's like... It's a attachment. It's a, yeah, it's a bit more like releasing, freeing yourself from your primal desires will give you peace. Yeah, you know that's I mean? right. That's right. But it, it gives you a form of peace but that also. Is you know, you using everything. You, you know what gives you peace? Also, you know what gives you peace in life? Castrating yourself. If you castrate yourself entirely, if you stop being an artist, if you stop being like, if you stop having desires for anything at all, you'll have peace in a sense. You'll have quiet, right? But the thing is, you have also uh, amputated yourself, and you've you've lost so many sources of energy in life that had you learned how to channel them, maybe you could have achieved more and maybe you could have brought more light into this world, right? Look, there's you definitely, have peace. there's definitely, unfortunately, a part of, you know, a certain issue within the Jewish community as well. I mean, imagine if you read, my name is Usher Lev and Chaim Patak in that story, if Usher Lev's father looked at his art in a very different way, right? Looked at it as part of, him honing his soul and honing his nefesh bahami and honing that, 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 that animal part of himself. And he was able to really express that and use that creativity instead of using it for, for the negative things and his father disapproving of it, he could use it for positive things. But the point is, is that what Kabbalah wants from you, what Kabbalah wants from all of us is a holistic experience. Use every part of yourself, but more than that, that you are a holistic person. You are a complete person. The body, Kabbalah calls it a small city. And you need to know how to control, how to understand the the mechanisms of how your small city works. And that's what we're trying to get to here.